Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom Aleichem. Jim, how are you? I'm very fine, Rabbi. Shalom. And uh, is it too early to say happy Rosh Chodesh to you? It's never too early. <laughs> well, actually, no, it isn't too early. This is the last week. These are the, this is the last days of our month of Mar Cheshvan. And this Thursday evening and Friday, we will be welcoming the new month of Kislev. And actually... Um, of course, everybody knows Kislev is the month of Hanukkah, the beginning of Hanukkah, and it's the month of miracles. So get get uh, your seatbelt uh, fastened because anything can happen if we're if we're expecting, anticipating, and precipitating miracles. And and I think that whereas this past month, this outgoing month of Mar Cheshvan, we talked about how it was about actualizing you know, what we were praying for so fervently during the month of Tishrei. Um, but but yet the fact that it featured no no holidays and no major observances, you know, uh, it was about purification and kind of like, kind of like, um, you know, um, letting go. This month of Kislev is about miracles. And it's also about um, actualizing dreams. And in fact, according to the, the secrets of our sages who basically ascribe different kind of like spiritual fixings and attributes uh, that correspond to the nefesh and, and that correspond to, to different ideas to each month, you know, each month has its own energy. So there's a, a concept, this coming month of Kislev is the time for the fixing of sleep. Now, on, on a simple level, um, okay, yeah, this is now the beginning of winter. You know? yeah. So the nights are longer. We're all changing the clock. The, the days are getting shorter. The nights are getting longer. It's colder outside. And so it seems to be conducive, you know, to allowing oneself to sleep longer and, and, uh, and, that, and that type of thing. But it's much more than that. It's, it, it's the, the, the idea of our sages teaching us that it's the month for fixing the attribute of sleep is that sleep is an important time of our life now because when we sleep, we heal and our souls soar and they have visions. They, our souls ascend to, to an upper world. And so um, that needs to be whole, wholesome and, and whole and, and uh, pure. Now, of course, everybody knows that, that this it corresponds to the fact that during this month of Kislev, we basically read all of the Torah's portions that have to do with dreaming. We have uh, Yaakov sees the ladder. We have Yosef's dreams and Pharaoh's dreams. Jacob being told to go down to Egypt. Right. So it's it's basically that shows us that it is a time for... Now, what happens when you dream? When you dream, you can see things. And some of it is, of course, nonsense. And our sages speak a great deal about the fact that, you know, dreams are not necessarily prophetic at all. It might be what you ate. It might be your heartburn. It might be what you saw during the day. But it's also an opportunity to, yes, have a, a, an experience that you would not normally be able to have because you are now in that state able to transcend logic. Mm -hmm. You're able to transcend what you think is logic and you're able to go to a different place. So, so that's the thing about uh, Kislev in a way is that it's kind of like an opportunity to deepen faith in Hashem and to uh, and not to be shackled or held back by by the limitations that we've set on our own minds. Because if one if there's one thing that 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 Kislev teaches us, of which is of course the embodiment of Kislev is Hanukkah. You know, it was the victory of a of a small band of Jews against a mighty army, and they were hopelessly outnumbered, and they were completely politically and militarily incorrect and inferior, et cetera, et cetera. But the idea is 
that the, the, it was a battle of faith. It was a battle against the God of Israel and faith in him. And, and that is not about the mind. That is about the strength of the heart and the soul. And that's what opens up new possibilities, new dimensions, and enables us to do things in ways that we couldn't do previously. And all that is, is a secret in a way of dreaming. So, 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 so when you allow yourself to dream and go forward on your faith, you're basically trusting Hashem. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention two things in reference to that. And one is uh, a saying from the Chazal, from sages, about dreaming that has always fascinated me. And that is that they say that a dream is a 60th of prophecy. What does that mean, a 60th there, of prophecy? There's actually a group of teachings in, in, in the, the, the Talmudic sages speak about various things being 160th. For example, Shabbat is like 160th of the, of the world to come. Now, a 60th is is pretty small measurement, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that maybe the, the sister thought of the one that you've quoted is that sleep itself is 160th of death. Okay, so how do I understand that sleep is 160th of death? And that why the sages, you know, who were so tremendously wise in, and who were masters of calculation and of, and of understanding, you know, nuances and, and fractions as well. So why it's 160th exactly, I won't, I won't venture a thought on that at, that at this juncture, but the idea of death being 160th of sleep or some, some reflection, I, I'm sorry, sleep being 160th of death. Obviously the idea is, and we can understand, you know, on a simple level that the body is, um, on a um, reduced footing, you know, in terms of, of our functions, in terms of our, our systems, all of our systems are in, uh, basically we can understand it from the computer in sleep mode, right? There's some, something called sleep mode. And now you know why, but sleep mode, when you press that button is that you're conserving energy and it goes into a, a state uh, which is not off yet, but it, that's what the Windows description says on it, right? When you mm -hmm. when you hover over the sleep mode, it's not off, but you can immediately come back to your work when you when you wake it up. So yeah. so when our when we're sleeping, you know very well that our our brain is in a different state and REM and all that and all that kind of business, depending on the depth of the sleep, and uh, and how how the body is affected, how the mind is affected. So so too. You know, uh, like I said, when a person uh, is sleeping and has dreams, much of it can come from the thoughts that we had during the day. Much of it can come from physiological um, reasons, like what we ate and, and that and that sort of thing, and what and we're and and bodily uh, issues. But it's also a time we know that the soul is liberated, that, that a portion of the soul, because it's complex, what the human soul is all about. There are different parts of it, right? So, but there is one part that is definitely basically returning to its source. In other words, when, when our, our souls down here, we are, you know, um, there's, a, there's only a fraction of ourselves in the body. I, I always say, in fact, we, we say this all the time. We have occasion to bring this up so many times in our Zoom classes to remind ourselves that we are spiritual beings. We are beings of light, but we are wrapped in, a, in an envelope, in a material envelope. And mm -hmm. the fact that, that that is the case, that we are spiritual beings, beings of light in, an, in a physical envelope is the cause of so much confusion, consternation, um, crisis in our lives because we're constantly being pulled you know between these forces thinking that this is me that i'm i'm the steak sandwich i'm, I'm the material i'm the physical and it's just so not true it's yeah. just so not true so when the person is sleeping and and the soul is liberated to return uh, to the its majority shareholding because it, it's only a piece of us that's here and and, and it sees what it sees and is re reunited with the source then things are presented to it that it can gain from and and you know this is a whole science in torah as well to uh, mm -hmm. how how per, how a person can remember dreams and how a person can can learn from the experience if it, if it and, and then of course there's even an idea in jewish law that a person can again even though we're not calling it prophecy per se although although for example the sages say that well you know there are certain times when a person has 
uh, a dream right before morning, right before waking up, that that is the closest experience to prophecy, the early yeah. morning kind. And many times you feel that you wake up suddenly with a with a rush and you feel that it wasn't just a dream. It was like an invitation or like a, or like a visitation or, or something, or, or if a dream is repeated, especially at that time. But but the idea is that, you know, it's it is uh, it, it is not necessarily um a, a prophetic experience but yet there is an idea that when a person has a bad dream that disturbs them very very much and 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 makes them uh you know unnerved and makes them uh, filled with anxiety uh and and angst uh, there is a whole a whole uh, process where they they actually sometimes if it's that disturbing a person even fasts yeah and even if it's not that disturbing a person a person can kind of make a certain kind of declaration, kind of like a like an annulment of of, of the dream before a beit din, you know, to to just to try and mitigate the 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 um the spiritual heaviness that it that it caused. So so this is the, this is a, a real a real thing. I wondered if it also doesn't mean two things. One is that you know real prophecy from God, you know, real prophecy which is from Hashem. That means that it represents the world of truth, and and that is that maybe it means that embedded in your dream is a component of truth that comes right from the throne, and the other is I wonder if there isn't a kind of space time sort of reference in that when one second goes by in the real time in your dream, a whole panorama of experiences can unfold in that one second while you're right. dreaming. It, that that right. is outside so it's of like there's some sort of compression. Yeah, it's like it's like you wake up sometimes and you think you had a dream that took eight hours because yeah. there's so many epic. different scenes and <laughs> epic. And sometimes people have these dreams where they there's they they remember that they were they were doing so many different things and and then they realize that it it took place over an infinitesimal amount of time yeah. because it's kind of like there's no again there's no limitation. So I so I started you know, responding, I didn't, I don't know if I even answered your question, but I, I, what I, I started talking about the, the companion thought that sleep is, is one sixties of death. So too. And what does that mean again, that there's a, that there is a uh, kind of like a sleep mode, right. Yeah. That the body is in. So too. It, and it's a, it's a very, very small taste of death. It's not death at all, but it, it is on one level, a, a, a decrease and a minimalization of functionality that reflects the, a very small uh, shadow of that state. So too, a dream can be th that same tip of an iceberg, little tiny taste of true prophecy. If it is, again, it can, it can, or it could just be one aspect, one symbol, one one message, one image that is retained can indeed have some tremendous um, tremendous implication. Good time to talk about this also in terms of a in terms of a synthesis of ideas. Uh, I began talking about this concept because of the month upcoming month of Kislev, which gives us the opportunity to work on this concept of the rectification of sleep. And I'm sure we'll have many opportunities coming up in the coming month to talk about this. But also in our portion this week, of Toldot, which is uh, epic, absolutely epic and life-changing and tremendous, um, you know, just just uh, staggering implications, the birth of Yaakov and Esav and their struggle in as twins in the womb of Rivka. So Rivka has a prophecy. Yeah. Rivka has a prophecy. And in her prophecy, she's told that what's going on inside her is something else altogether. And I want to speak much more about this in our upcoming video this week. This story, the story in our Torah portion of, of Toldot, which begins in, in uh, Genesis chapter 26, it's it works on many, many levels. Of course, the simplest level that we're reading about is these two diametrically opposed brothers that were so different and that, and that were so... Um, Kind of locked in a life and death struggle for from the very beginning, but there's so much more to it, and this is of course what I what I want to explore this week in our video what they what they really represent, and this story is and and again I don't want to give away too much now just a little teaser but this story is completely different in some ways from every other story that we have learned so far in Torah from the beginning of Breshit. This this is so different than the life story of Abraham and the life story of Yitzchak, 
what's going on with these two brothers. So we'll 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 talk more about that as we continue. And the truth is, and I and I really want you to take over, Jim, because you actually uh, wrote an entire book called Blood Brothers, subtitled A History of Israel's Enemy. We have people we idolize, so to speak, and there are people that we want to be like. And if there was anybody that Esau wanted to be like, in fact, he wanted to overtake Nimrod. And the sages tell us that the two were watching each other. They were, they were eyeing each other. Esau had his eye on Nimrod, and Nimrod was jealous that Esau was getting this, he was getting this reputation as this mighty hunter, which is what he had been known for. Didn't Esau ultimately kill Nimrod? Yeah. And take yeah. his coat? The boys are 15 years of age when the sale of the birthright, the Bechorium, happens. And, and he comes in after the hunt, Esau, and he is tired, and he thinks he's going to die, basically. And I always wonder, well, why did he think that way? Why was he so, why had he given up and thought that the birthright was a mere whim? It didn't, it didn't mean anything tangible to him because he saw it, it, it meant responsibility. And that's the last thing that he wanted. Exactly. I've often been fascinated in the Torah by the way in which they're written often is a comment on the event itself. And that is the fact that it, it happened so quickly you took the words right out of my mouth, and Please. again, I, I, I'm, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated here because I, I, I want to do uh, uh, something in the video this week, and I want the, I, the approach to be, um, uh, you know, um, unified. But what you just said is so important because, again, as I was saying earlier, there's something about the story that is completely different than mm-hmm. every story that we've learned until now. And it's also has to do, and I'm just teasing it now, Jim, it has to do with the way it's told. It has to do with the way it's told. Now, I, I want to take this back just a little bit before we go too far. And again, I want I want everyone to, to understand that you have a book available called Blood Brothers, which is about... Basically, it's about Yaakov and Esav, and yeah. I think that you that you do a lot with that. Where can our listeners uh, see that book? Get it? They can get it, it on, uh, Amazon? on Amazon. They can also get it at lightcatcherbooks.com. It, it is really, I hope, an explanation of the impact of this particular Parsha. The things that are set in motion are, are with us today. It is our whole world today. It's and worlds I, in collision. They each it, represent a world, and it's worlds in collision. They're opposing amen. forces. But it started before that. It started in, in Rivka's womb. Yeah. And the thing is, the thing is, you know, uh, again, we we the verses are spare, and they're sparse, and they are they are powerful. You know, um, she was she was agitated, and so she went to inquire of Hashem, and there are some that explain that she received a prophecy from Shem. Uh, the son of Noah, uh, and uh, she was told that well, there were two nations in your womb, and th- and then they grew up. Jacob is uh, a um, wholesome man, a, a, a abiding intense, right? And Esav is a hunter. He knows hunting. He's a man of the field. And again, Esav comes out red and f- hairy and totally developed, like a. a in, like an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and Yaakov comes out holding on to the, the heel of, of Asaph. And then right away, like you say, we skip uh, a number of years to their to their um, adolescence. And we come to the, if that's in, if that was indeed their adolescence, because we know that the, the blessings of Yitzchak were already when they were 40. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 45 and, to be exact. Uh, and that has to do also with a very powerful idea of how, of how long Rebecca was ruminating over the prophecy that she received. But I, I just want to say that, you know, the story again. There's a there's a there's a um, uh, fast forward here, and from their birth, we don't hear very much, other than that the lads grew up, and then suddenly we have the story of the sale of the birthright, and um, and 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 that comes after the descriptions of the son the sons and as if the description of the sons was enough to tell us everything that we need to know. And here again, we have the backstory of our sages, the backstory of our sages that they 
understand from the details of the verses and from and from uh, what we have received from Sinai is that Asaph was a murderer. Asaph was a sexual predator, and he was uh, he was um, a brutal killer. And when you say you know that he he wasn't interested in the in the birthright, and he said, in fact, he said, you know, look. I'm going to die. What use of me, to me is the birthright? So, so the the chilling background of that is that what what was the stew all about? That Yaakov was was preparing. <clears throat> Yaakov was preparing lentil lentil soup, which I happen to know. If I can just get personal here for a minute, is your favorite soup? <laughs> now, I'm not I'm not in any way associating you with Ace of God. Forbid you Thank have God. left the spirit of Ace of altogether, Jim. You are. You are um, a person who who is clinging to to the God of Israel, but you love my wife's soups. Oh yeah, she makes a lot of very, she makes a lot of wonderful soups, right? And one of your favorites is is lentil soup. Yeah. Um, so, but why why was he <laughs> making lentil soup that day? So that there's a tradition that teaches us that when a person is in mourning, mm-hmm. the first meal that is served to them. Uh, when their morning period begins is lentils because lentils are round and they kind of re- recall the idea that what 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 goes up comes down what goes around comes around this too shall pass you know like that life is a cycle that life is a cycle also there's an idea that lentils don't have a mouth they don't have an opening and so too the mourner is kind of like unable to speak and the idea is that Isaac, Jacob's father was mourning because this was the day of Avraham's uh, death. Yeah, and so he and so uh, Jacob was preparing this meal for his for his father. So Asaph comes in, and he and the verse tells us that he comes in and he's exhausted. He mm-hmm. comes in. Why is he so tired? Again, oh, why? every word here is <laughs> is so powerful, right? He he comes and. Uh, he came in. He came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And so the sages tell us that that day, he basically savaged the the major cardinal principles of of Torah. He he committed murder. He committed a, a sexual offense. He committed idolatry, and he was actually tired from these the weight of these sins. And he comes in and he says, "What are you making? What are you doing?" And and uh, Yaakov explained to him that uh, their grandfather passed away. Mm-hmm. And this is a mourner's meal. And so the, the way that the, the, the sages portray the, the, the conversation is that Asaph said, what? Such a man like Avraham, such a tzaddik, such a righteous person, he also dies? You mean death is everywhere tracking us down, as Dylan says? This is just like, that's it? That we're all going to die? Huh. That's it. So then yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't care for, for anything for, for the, the, I don't believe in it. I don't believe in life. He, and he, he basically denied the concept of life after death, the coming world. He scoffed it. He, he mocked it. But the bottom line of what all of this is, is telling us is again, is that all of these ideas are spiritual and, and, and this, this, their struggle, the struggle of Yaakov and Esau is, is a spiritual struggle over basically what what world is is the is the dominant world, and what should we be doing in this world? And so, basically, as I was saying, I don't I don't need the birthright. I don't believe in it because I don't want the responsibility of fixing the world. I don't I don't believe that there is any any spiritual um, program at all. I don't believe in the redemption of humanity. Is what mm-hmm. he was saying. I don't believe in spiritual development. I don't believe in the redemption of humanity. You have to understand what's really going on here. He wanted the blessings, all right. He wanted the, the blessings of, of materialism in this world, but he showed this disdain and contempt for Hashem when he, as the verse says, he despised the birthright. And, and may I, is this the proper time that I could bring in the verse from uh, Malachi? Um, it's not PC, but the Torah says it. So Malachi chapter one, and, and uh, it begins the prophecy of the word of Hashem to Israel by the hand of Malachi. I loved you, says Hashem, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esav the brother of Yaakov? The word of Hashem, yet yeah, I loved Yaakov, but I hated Esav. Hashem says, I hated Esav. I made his mountains a desolation and gave his heritage to the desert serpents. And then of course, the book of Ovadia, which is only one page, Ovadia was a, a convert. Uh, from Edom, and it was given to him to to foretell the 
uh, future of the nation of Edom. But the idea is what's, what's really going on here is that, is that we know that the legacy of Avraham, which he inherited from Adam, which is why he's buried in the tomb of the patriarchs, which is why he shows up when he shows up after the flood, the legacy of Abraham is living life for divine purpose, right? And, and that is what we're supposed to be doing. This is the development of the nation now. The nation is, get, is getting off the ground. Asa didn't want any part of that. He wanted everything on his terms for his benefit, right? He has a certain agenda. We also learned that he feigns righteousness, right? There's this idea that he, he, his father preferred him because of the hunting that was in his mouth, which some people think means that, you know, that he um, basically uh, um, brought him delicious food. But what, but what it really means is that he, he feigned righteousness by talking of justice, by talking of, of uh, wanting to do the right thing, by asking complicated questions in, in Torah and trying to impress uh, his father Yitzchak, who, who apparently didn't, did not, let me say didn't, not that he didn't see through it, but he didn't want to see through it, right? And Asaph is like is kind of like we we're getting this picture that he is a politician. <laughs> he's like a fraud. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's he's it's smoke and mirrors, right? He's like he's basically like a, a spin master. But the idea, but the reason I bring all of this up is 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 because of something that you said that was so perfect. This struggle is also within. Everyone. Now, this is a clash of two forces here, and and that clash, by the way, as we're going to continue to learn, and I, again, I I want to can't emphasize this enough. It's it's a, it's spiraling through history. This clash, right? And at this point that we're learning about it now, the question is basically who is going to carry on the legacy of Abraham and Yitzchak? Because Hashem promised Abraham that his children would bring blessing to the world. But the, but every person has free choice, and that is part of this whole conundrum as well, because within each person there's a struggle for for a, a certain supremacy, and with, you can say that within each person there's a Yaakov and there's an Esav also. There are and this, it's always about a struggle of the forces that are within us that we're dealing with that sometimes are pulling us up and sometimes are pulling us down. And and that also has a great deal to do with our with our story. Again, it's there's so many levels of understanding here, and none of them are simple. Esau's entire life was a charade. It was it was a masquerade. It was an act, and that is key to him losing the uh, the birthright. Because what 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 happens thirty years after the sale of the Bechora, of the of the birthright, we have this whole mini drama that unfolds in the tent of his father, when his father again there is a death in the family, and there is mourning, and this time it, it's it's uh, we hear of Isaac saying, you know, uh, I think I'm going to die. And I'd, I'd like a, a last meal. And of course, Rabbi, who has just passed away thirty years later, when when the we're about to see the the blessing being given to Yaakov rather than Esav, and that is the brother of Isaac, his brother Ishmael. And I think what's interesting to point out is that even though, and this is sort of a, a footnote that maybe I should have brought up at the end of the story, is that that after he tells, he, he talks about, you know, I'm feeling, I'm really feeling my years, I'm really feeling like I could go anytime. He actually lives much longer after that particular, after this event, after the, the giving of the blessing. And this, this whole, and I, what I'm getting at is the fact that Esav, and his his pen, his uh, penchant for for putting on an act comes back to actually be his undoing, and this is going to be going on for quite some time. And we, and again, we're beginning these these Torah portions now of of Yaakov, which is the beginning of the nation of Israel, really. And there's there's so much going on here right right now. Again, back to the back to the sale. You know, again, he he. Like you said, he is masquerading. He's masquerading as an innocent. He's even masquerading as righteous. He was never interested in the birthright. Once he understood 
that it's not a question of privilege, it's a question of responsibility for, for, for the whole world, right? And then, you know, so again, he comes in the day of Abraham's death, he, he had raped a betrothed woman, he had committed murder, he had denied the existence of God, and he looks at the stew, and he's literally weighing in his mind the stew or the birthright. Yeah. <laughs> the stew or the birthright, which is more important to me. And so you have like the expression about a person who sees red, you know, he's called red. And this is a great, a great secret of Torah. I mean, it's a very mystical idea that Edom, the word Edom, which is the nation of Asaph, means red. And it's see, and in fact, the Torah even says that the reason that he's right here in, in verse 30, we are told that the reason that Asaph is called red, this is just staggering, is all because he said to Yaakov, pour into me now some of that very red stuff, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name is called red. Uh, all because he referred to the food as red. In other words, he what is this? Is it is it a disrespect that he couldn't name the, the name of the soup? What is this that the Torah bothers to tell us that he is known as Edom all because of that? And it, it is a great, great secret that Torah is, is, is showing us that, that Esav is all about desire, unbridled, unlimited desire for instant gratification. There's even a word that's used here in this verse, which is so unusual. It just has no parallel anywhere where, and this is how I translated it correctly here in the, in the art school, that he said to me, he said, pour into me now. He didn't say feed me. He didn't say give me a portion. He didn't, he didn't say, may I have. He said, pour into me is the word halitani, which basically means I'll open up my mouth wide, my throat wide. And I don't have any time. I, I used to call this the ultimate feed me, burp, burp me, get me out of here. Like I'll open up my throat, mm -hmm. my gullet, just pour it in. Some yeah. of that very red stuff. I mean, he's always called forever. Now forever, forever is called red because of this. So that redness is the and redness of heat and, and, and bloodlust and the immediate fulfillment of the basis of the basest desires yeah, and it so, was, and, that, and it's not, it's not, it's not just like a like an anecdote. It's not a side story. That's why that's why Torah bothers to include these words in the verse. Therefore, he is called red because this is his description. This is his national characteristic, as it were. The lentils are raw. When they're done, they're brown. They're a deep brown color. But if they're if they're uh, red, they're they're still undercooked. They're raw. And so this is this is why, as a little teaser for those that want to read my book, this embodies the Western world today because Esav is the ancestor, not only philosophically but also historically and even geopolitically, the birth of the Western world, Western values, and and this is consumerism. I want it now, and even the religion that is in the world today that Esau gave birth to is a religion of a bloody Messiah and someone who basically says, who says all you got to do to win a place in heaven is to instantly say the secret words, the magic recipe, and you're in. I have a chapter and I'm going to get in trouble with some of our listeners, but the chapter is called Esau's Messiah. And that's really who this personage is and everything about I him. I think is, you get in trouble, Joe. I don't think you're going to get in trouble. Well, uh, uh, there is a certain uh, demographic, if you will. Wait, who's knocking at your door? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Listen, the thing is, um, you know, on, on Tuesday, every other Tuesday, we are uh, in studying in our Zoom lessons, the classic work, Misilat Sharim, which is the path of the just. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a very beautiful um, work by the holy Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato. You know, it's very famous and it's about um, clinging to Hashem and basically ascending in a spiritual progression to become uh, more and more um, finely attuned uh, to our own spiritual potential. And it's basically about becoming as pure as we can to cling to Hashem, right? So we're learning this, this beautiful uh, class every other Tuesday. And we just learned about... The first level in this spiritual progression, the first level is called zihirut, which means watchfulness. 
And the author explains how the first step in a person taking control of themselves and starting to come closer to Hashem is, he calls it watchfulness. And it has to do with the idea of basically uh, learning self-control. I, I call it mindfulness. He's basically describing uh, the necessity to stop and think before we do anything, before we before we do any act, before we speak, before we look at something, before we, let's say, post something to Facebook, even before we think a thought to stop and say, is this necessary? But in other words, instead of being in the, in the passenger seat to try to be in the driver's seat and to appoint yourself as a watchman over yourself and to say, is this really necessary? Is this really what I want to do? Is this going to advance righteousness? Is this the thing to do? Am I going to hurt someone? Is it not not right that I should do this? So, so it's about mindfulness. And the reason I bring this up now, and it's a very, very compelling and beautiful study, and of course, and any of our listeners are invited to join us in our in our Zoom classes. We have a Zoom class every Sunday, and in fact, right now we're learning about David and Goliath in, in the Book of First Samuel. And we have uh, every other Tuesday we're learning um, this beautiful work, the, pa- the Path of the Just. The reason I bring it up is because I say mindfulness and self control. This is the opposite of asov, and what you were just saying. West, the, the Western idea uh, of immediate gratification and a culture that is totally self-absorbed, that's what ASAP is really all about. And it, and it all yeah. is derived from this scene of basically opening up his mouth and saying, just, ah, just feed me like this, just this kind of like this, like raw primal brutality, pour the raw lentils down my throat. And, um, it's the opposite of, of, of this concept of, of being measured, being self-disciplined, being in control, not allowing one's own heat to dominate. And, and, um, and I think that all of those, all of those uh, pitfalls of, hu- of human nature are just boiling and, and like the stew is not simmer- simmering anymore. The, su- the stew is boiling over. And it's the stew of, of um, the the, rea- the contemporary reality that 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 we're facing every day now, and it's it's just staggering to see, you know, how people live today. How people live today. Again, if you take just the example of social media and the addiction that people have to to um, to posting and to reacting and to and to being completely insensitive and unthinking about other people's feelings and the total self-absorption with the, the there's just no question in my mind that the entire world must be very interested in what I ate for breakfast and how it made me feel. <laughs> they must be interested because the world is centered around me. And therefore all the billions of people that are on Facebook, of course, I have to share with them and I have to take a picture of my breakfast. And by the way, it's my birthday and everything else, because it's all about this, 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 in, instead of being part of Hashem's program and being a small cog and something turning for the benefit of, of humanity and for Hashem's plan, it's, it, it became just um it stopped at some point mm-hmm. and it and it's and it's and it is stuck on this self-perpetuating self-immolating self-worship yeah. which is really what asaph is all about the torah calls the the brothers twins because all through history esav would be the darker mirror image of his brother uh, Jacob has what eventually became the nation of Israel and its priesthood and its temples and its temple, its first and second and hopefully third temple. Esau has his priesthood, his uh, heavy, heavy air quotes here, his temples, his places of worship. And his ideas are actually, you know, the kind of thief that Esau also was. He actually steals the ideas of his brother to present his his ideas about God. The problem is they're all clothed in this, the, the idea of materialism. But before 
I get off on a tangent, which I generally do, again, is this is the way this all comes around to this this charade, this act. Rivka is actually standing in for Eve, but she's also rectifying the the soul of Eve. The sin in the garden introduced, they went from the world of truth to the world of illusion. And the sages tell us that that Yaakov represented truth. He represented the world of truth. And so what happens is Even that, though it looks like the opposite because people, right. people to this day say, oh, Yaakov is a thief. He comes and he's foolish. But he's, and he's, but he's not because what was his mother told? His mother, what was his mother told, Rabbi, when he was in the womb? His mother was told that the that the elder shall serve, serve the, the younger. The and younger. she's waiting for 40 years. And this is also... Uh, has to do with a, a very important question that one might ask, which is why did Rivka do that? what she did? Why did she facilitate Yaakov's um, charade with mm-hmm. his father? And, and, and the, again, there's so much here why Yitzchak was insistent on trying to give the, the blessing first to Esau because Yitzchak wanted to believe in Esau's potential because he saw that Esau was so earthy and so connected to this earth. And of course, we know that Torah is concerned with this world. And this is this world is the world that we were put in and we are meant to elevate it. And when he saw that Asaph was so practical and so and such a hunter and such a man of this world, he was hoping that he would be able to sanctify Hashem in this world because that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. But but unfortunately, Asaph was only of this world and he wanted nothing to do with bringing Hashem into this world or the responsibility of what it means to be a person in this world. And, that, and, and you know, the thing is that, uh, there, and there, again, there's so much here, even again, the, the Torah is being very economical with these descriptions and it's a lifetime of study. And in fact, we, again, just to mention the Zoom lessons, we had a, a, a multi-part uh, multi-part series on the lives of the forefathers. And we went into this in detail, the fact that Asaph is a hunter. Why does he have to be a hunter? A hunter has to pursue because the thing that he's pursuing is running away from him. And, and that's the thing about Asaph is that he, he exuded this evil. And, and that's the whole idea of a hunter basically takes by force. Oh. He takes what he wants at, with no uh, feeling of, of compunction, it, it, I want that, I'm going to take it, I'm going to force it. That's exactly what, what he was. He was, a, he was an institutionalized, uh, institutional rapist of everything, of, of women, of nature, of the world. This, was, this is what he was. He was a hunter. Everything is running away from him and he's running after everything. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and then interestingly, when when Yaakov in, in the next Torah portion of Ayetze, when he comes to the to the the place where he lays down and he sees the ladder, we have that whole idea that he under his head he placed twelve stones around his head. But then when he woke up in the morning, there were only one stone, right? That 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 famous uh, inference from the wording of the verses in in Parshat Ayetze. and so we have the famous idea as Rashi cites from our sages that the stones all said. I want I want to be under his head. I want I want the righteous tzaddik to put his head on me, and so that all the stones became one. And the idea of that simple story that sounds rather whimsical that that it's the truth that it's conveying us is that when it comes to a righteous person, it's like all of nature, the world itself, wants him, longs for him, longs to be to be a a a, a part of his uh, of his dealing with Hashem, wants to facilitate him. You know, like longs to be to be used by him. So all the stones turned into one because that's it's the opposite of Asaph. And mm-hmm. Asaph is running after the animal that's running after him, and the stones are all are all melting together under under Yaakov's head because they want to be with him. That's that's the the idea. Isaac says, you know, I'm I'm weary. I think I'm going to die. I'd love a one of your great, you know, one of your great barbecues, son, that you make for me. And he sends him off to get it. And then Rivka, the mom, grabs, you know, Jacob and says, it's time. You need to go and get the blessing that God told me you were supposed to get. Because, because he is supposed to serve. Esau is, is supposed to serve you, not the other way and around. You, you said something that is so staggering. This is the weekly kiss on the forehead. Come, come here. <laughs> <laughs> 
You said something brilliant and prophetic that Hashem gave you an unbelievable truth because you mentioned the Garden of Eden. Yeah. As that there's a kind of a feeling of a throwback here. And, and again, everybody who learns these Torah portions feels that we're working through some sort of awesome cosmic themes. This is so powerful. This is bigger than life. We're working through cosmic themes of rectification here. But what happened is that is that Yaakov said to Rivka, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. And uh, so, for, so first of all, she says, she says to him, listen to me. She says, listen to me. Your curse be on me. Your curse be on me, my son. Only heed my voice and go fetch them for me. So the, the mystic sages teach, Jim, that exactly what you said, that this is basically Adam and Eve all over again. Right. That in the Garden of Eden, it was Adam and Eve. And now she is Eve. And Yaakov, her son, is Adam. And he and she's basically saying, <laughs> because again, it's this unbelievable cosmic sequence. So she's saying to him, I know that the first time you listened to me, I really messed you up. Right. I know that the first time you listened to me, I know that that was really, we went south. But now I'm saying to you, no. I, and I know that I brought a curse to the world. No, now your curse be upon me. Listen to me. And now make the tikkun for, for what I, for, for your having listened to me then. And it was the bad advice. Now listen to me because we're going to fix this and put the proper path in motion now for blessing to dwell in the world. Chapter 27 and verse 15, Rebecca then took her elder, her older son Asaph's here, the translation says clean garments. It can also be read as precious garments, the big day chamudot, which were, with, which were with her in the house. Mm -hmm. Why was there a pig? Esau is a married man. He's got all these idolatrous wives. Why is there a pig in, and he's not even Jewish. So it's not like he has like a, a he's, this is like a whole Jewish mother thing. Like I'm going to leave my clothes in my mother's house. Why is there a peg in Rivka's foyer with Esau's garments on it? Because Esau didn't trust his wives. And that was the garment of Adam Harishon. Right. Yeah. That was the garment. And that was the garment that I have, a, again, a whole series of classes on this garment and how eventually it affects Yosef in Egypt. This garment is the garment that Nimrod wore through which he, he achieved dominion over the natural world. This is the garment that Hashem made for Adam HaRishon and it, and it was with Noah on the ark and it went to Nimrod and Esav waylaid Nimrod and took the coat. And this is the very garment that Yaakov wore when he went into Yitzchak. And the garments were, the sages tell us that the garments given to Adam and Eve that were literally fashioned by the creator were, were to make them priest. They were supposed to be. And so by, by uh, Jacob putting on these garments once again and getting the blessing, the blessing of the priesthood was being conferred on Jacob and his descendants that day in the tent of his father. There is another linkage, and that is God told Eve that she would experience pain in childbirth. And this directly references the pain of childbirth that Rebecca was going through with these twins struggling in, in her and making things so painful. So Rebecca deceived her husband to open his eyes to see the error he was about to commit by conferring the blessing on the wrong son. You, you have collated a lot of these beautiful teachings in your, your wonderful book, Blood Brothers, um, which I hope our listeners will look for. I highly recommend it. You, you did a, a marvelously uh, scholarly job on that book. Speaking of, you, of your, your prowess, Jim, uh, your tremendous scholarship, I understand that you're very soon going on a speaking tour in the United States. Well, thank you for bringing it up. I will be in Chicago, and I'm working with a, a wonderful organization started in Israel 18 years ago, I think, by a friend of mine named David Wilder, who you, you, you know. They put together educational materials that link the archaeology 
and the Tanakh and the history of the people of Israel. So if anybody out there listening to us today would like to come to Holiday Inn in Skokie, uh, Moshe Shabbat, it'll be 8.30 p.m. I'll be doing my lecture on the riddle of the Exodus. And also I'll be giving some new material. So if you want to hear some new findings on the, the evidence for the Exodus, come to that 8.30 Saturday nights, November the 13th. And then Monday evening at 7 p.m., I'll be at the, the uh, JCC uh, in uh, the JCC Northbrook there in Chicago. And I will be talking at 7 p.m. about the Copper Scroll. And the Copper Scroll, of course, is this amazing artifact found at Qumran back in 1952, which is a which is unusual in the respect that of all of the scrolls found at Qumran, this is the only scroll made of copper. And it's the only one that is not a book. It is a, an inventory of the treasures of the temple. And we'll talk about the importance of that. So thank you for bringing that up. And people can you share your yeah. um, email address now yeah, with everybody that it, might not have heard and that might want more details about your venues? Exactly. You can uh, you can drop me a line at uh, Noahide, N-O-A-H-I-D-E, all lowercase, Noahide2008 at yahoo.com. So, uh, and again, appreciate you bringing that up, and I hope people can come out. To well, Jim, it. I, I, I'm sure everybody that gets to gets the privilege of hearing you will be most appreciative. So, to wrap it up, I think that I think that um, we see that these worlds in collision that that were set into motion uh, represent Hashem's plan of um, basically working through this conflict towards the ultimate redemption of humanity, towards his plan, again, back to the Garden of Eden, basically um, setting to right the, the human condition. And, and as we see today, the scourge of self-absorption, of instant gratification, of the lack of um, reverence for life that is represented by Asa, we understand kind of what is going on on a deeper level that you know we are basically trying to uh, clarify the the divine image in which we were created and it's still it's still reverberating and going going through these cycles mm-hmm.